This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Well, welcome to the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. This will be a special podcast episode. I want to share a little clip from the recent Salt Company conference that we hosted down in Des Moines, Iowa. There's so much incredible content, main stage preaching, breakout sessions that's available for you for free on the Salt Company Conference website. That's saltcompanyconference.com, saltcompanyconference.com. You should go on there. Even you can click the full uh, worship sessions to see it with the band in there and the worship with the students. It was powerful. You should go and listen to all of it. But I wanted to just share one particular highlight for me which was a breakout session on prayer led by Vance Pittman. Vance Pittman is the president of SEND Network, the largest church planning network in North America, and the network that has really helped to come alongside as a partner with the SALT Network and with our plants throughout Cornerstone, uh, all throughout the U.S. And Vance taught this breakout session on prayer, and I'm just going to say it is one of the most powerful things I have ever heard on prayer. And I thought, if I could share one highlight from the conference among so many, I would want to share a little bit of this breakout session with you. So go and listen to all of it on the Salt Company Conference website. But today on Equip Podcast, I don't think uh, this will be time wasted. You should tune in here as we hear a little bit on prayer from Vance Pittman. God, in His sovereignty has chosen to limit his activity to the prayers of his people. Let me say that one more time. God in his sovereignty has chosen to limit his activity to the prayers of his people. Now, before you write me off theologically, I want you to hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying God needs us. God don't need us. Amen. I mean, he's God. The title God means you can do what you want, how you want. He's God. But as you understand his word, God has chosen to accomplish his mission through the prayers of his people. I've told you my personal story. It's not just my personal story. Let me tell you a global story. Let me take you on a trip around the world. In 1857, in the United States of America, it started in New York City. What's called historically the Second Great Awakening broke out. In a period of about 18 months, in America, one million people became followers of Jesus Christ. In, the, in, in today's numbers, that would be like somewhere between, in the next year and a half, 10 to 20 million Americans becoming followers of Jesus Christ. That's 1857, Second Great Awakening. Started on Fulton Street in New York City. Began to spread all over America. Then a few years later in 1904, a revival broke out in Wales And in a period of six months in Wales, the Welch Revival led by a man named Evan Roberts broke out and over 100,000 people came to Christ in Wales. So started in North America in 1857 by 1904, 1905. It's now in Europe and Wales. 
Then in 1905, it moved to India. And in India, people movement to the gospel broke out. And in a matter of two days, 8,000 people came to... What if, what if in the next two days, we saw 8,000 people in Des Moines surrender their lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Wouldn't that be awesome? You know, the problem is we think this stuff is just Bible stuff, but it's not today. But here's what I want you to know. The same God that was sitting on the throne in Acts chapter 1 and the same God that was sitting on the throne in 1857 is the same God who's sitting on the throne today. You know, the problem, we're not asking God to do this kind of stuff anymore. We're not desperate for God. Let's keep moving around the world. 1906, 1907, it moves to North Korea. North Korea, the country that we all know from the news today, is this closed communist dictatorship. In 1906, 1907, in a period of about 15 months, 80,000 people became followers of Jesus Christ in North Korea. Then in 1927, it broke out in Shantung, China. Shantung, China. A movement of God broke out in China, started in the Shantung province, that increased the Christian population in China by more than 10 times over 30 years. There were periods of years where 40 to 50,000 people per day were coming to faith in Jesus Christ in China. So get this, 1857 starts in North America to Wales to India, to North Korea, to China. If I had a map laid out flat from 1857 to 1927, that's a period of 70 years. That's about one generation. The gospel moved across the entire globe in profound ways. You know what every one of those revivals had in common? In the United States, before it broke out in 1857, for two years, a group of people met every day in New York City and began to pray. In Wales, they prayed for five years. In India, they prayed for two years. In North Korea, they prayed for two to three years. In China, there were four years of prayer meetings. Here's what I want you to hear me say. Ian Bounds said it this way. The story of every great Christian achievement is really the history of of answered prayer. You see God moving powerfully anywhere in the world. You dig deep enough, let me tell you what you'll always find. A remnant of God's people who were praying desperately for God to move. Pastor, are you saying there's power in prayer? No. There is not power in prayer. There is power in the one to whom we pray. You see, if I think there's power in prayer, I'm putting faith in my faith. I'm putting faith in my effort. I'm putting faith in my work. There's no power in prayer. There's power in the one to whom we pray. And because of Jesus, we have been invited into the very throne room of God where with boldness we can have access to the Father and we can seek Him in prayer. 
How many of you believe God is on mission in the world today? Let me see your hand. Hear this statement. He will not move if we don't pray. Wait a minute. Don't you believe God's sovereign? Absolutely, I believe God's sovereign. Don't you believe God can do what he wants to do? I believe God can do what he wants to do. You just said he won't move if we don't pray. Why? Because that's the way he sovereignly ordained it. Just like you can't be saved without putting faith in Jesus. God could have saved you by just going, you're saved, you're saved, you're saved. But you've got to put your faith in Christ. That's the means by which God sovereignly ordained us to experience salvation. Is salvation a work of sovereign grace by a sovereign God? Absolutely. But every person I know that's gotten in on that sovereign work of sovereign grace by a sovereign God expressed their faith in Jesus Christ in response to hearing the gospel and surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. It's the means by which he ordained it. God has ordained that he will work in this world and he longs to work in this world. Here's what I have in my mind. I have this in my mind this picture of a sovereign God waiting to pour out his movement in North America, waiting on his people to pray. And because we got time for anything else but prayer lesson, let your assault company or let your local church call it a concert, we'll pack it out. Call it a conference, we'll pack it out. Call it a prayer meeting. You ain't packing it out. We got time for anything but praying. Isn't that just like the enemy? He knows the answer. He knows the means by which God works in the world. So so let me show you this in a text of scripture quickly. I've explained it to you practically in my own life. I've shown it to you globally, historically. Now let me show it to you biblically. If you got your Bible, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy 2. It is, I'm going to date myself a little bit here. I'm sorry. Is, is Cliff Notes still a thing in college? Y'all know about Cliff's Notes? Oh, man, I'm sorry if you don't know about Cliff's Notes. When I was in college, we didn't have computers and Internet, and we had to read big old thick books. And if you couldn't, didn't have time to read the book, there was a cheat sheet called Cliff's Notes where you could read a little bitty book that told you all the important information from the really big book. What I'm about to read you in 1 Timothy 2 is a Cliff's Notes version of the whole meta narrative of Scripture. If I was going to explain to you the whole story of Genesis to Revelation, Paul does it in 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 3 and going down to verse 7. In five verses, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, Paul gives the Cliff's Notes version of the whole story, the whole arc of Scripture, and he's doing this because he's writing this letter to a young church planter that Paul had raised up after he planted the church at Ephesus and he installed Timothy as the pastor of that church, and he's writing this letter to tell Timothy, Timothy, God's moving in the world, and this is how you need to lead the church at Ephesus to get in on what God's doing. So let's pick it up in verse Three, this, these first two verses, verse three and four, here's what this is. This is God's heart for the peoples of the earth. Look at verse three. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God, our savior, who desires 
all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. There's the desire of God for the peoples of the earth. God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Listen, and if your theology doesn't let you say that's what the Bible says, change your theology and get it in line with the Bible. It's good for us to have some verses in Scripture that press our theology back to a dependence on what does the Word of God say. And the Word of God says, God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Is that a universalistic belief that all people will be saved? No. It's an expression of the heart of God who the Bible says so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should, have, should not perish but have eternal life. So there's God's heart for the peoples of the earth. Now look at verse 5. Verse 5 tells us God's gift to the peoples of the earth. For there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Paul says, Timothy, it's God's desire that all the peoples of the earth come to know him. But not only that, God's made a provision in his son Jesus through his death, burial, and resurrection where man can be reconciled back to God. Sinful man can be forgiven and made right with God through the provision of Jesus, who's the one and only mediator between God and man. You with me so far? If you're with me, say amen. Look at verse 7. Here's God's mission to the peoples of the earth. Paul says, for this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. I don't understand why that line's even in the scriptures. I don't know if Paul had a problem with lying. I don't know. If... <laughs> I'm telling the truth, Timothy. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Here's what Paul says. God's desire is that all the peoples of the earth may know him. God's made a provision in his son Jesus so that all peoples can know him. And Timothy, now you and I in the church, we've been set apart to take this message of the gospel of Jesus to the peoples of the earth so that they can come to know him. That's the whole story of the Bible, right? God loves the peoples of the earth. God sent Jesus into the world to reconcile man back to himself. And God's called us as his people to go to the ends of the earth and share the good news of Jesus, right? If you see that, say amen. I know what you're thinking. I thought you said you were going to talk to us about prayer. Everything I just read for you is sandwiched in between verses 1 and 2 and verse 8. So go back to verse 1. I'm reading the ESV. But I don't, what does the first phrase in verse 1 say? Say it out loud. What does it say? First of all, somebody else, what does it say? I urge. So those, they get flipped. Those are the first two phrases. First of all. Or I urge. It's actually in the Greek language. It's first of all. It can be translated above else, above all else, or before anything else. So what did he just say? He just said, God loves the peoples of the world and wants them to know him. God gave his son Jesus so they can know him. God's commissioned his church to go tell them they can know him through Jesus. But first of all, first of all, then what does he say? I urge that you teach people how to share the gospel so they can build relational bridges and go communicate the gospel clearly and effectively so people can understand it. Is that what verse 1 says? First of all, you need to do demographic studies into the communities around you so you can build relational bridges that allow the gospel to walk from your life into their life. Is that what it says? No, what does it say? First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all people. And go down to verse 8. 
I desire then that in every place, the men, the brothers, the sisters, the people should learn how to defend their faith against the questions and apologetic answers of the day. Is that what your text says? I urge that we learn methods like faith and CWT and three circles and EE to share our faith with. Is that what it says? I desire then that in every place the men should what? Say it out loud. How you get in on what God's doing in the world? You got to pray. Let me answer two questions quickly in the few minutes I have left. Number one, how important is prayer? Paul tells us, he says, first of all. Here's what he's saying to Timothy. Timothy, God wants to see the world come to know him. God's given Jesus so the world can come know him. God's called us to take this message to them. But Timothy, let's get first things first. If we're going to get in on what God's doing in the world, here's what we got to do. We got to pray. And then he said, I urge. Now, this is important because the phrase I urge could have been I command because Paul was an apostle, which means Paul walked into any church. He was immediately in charge. That's what it meant to be an apostle. He had authority to walk into any church and the pastor now was in submission to him. He was the apostle. He could have said, Timothy, I command you to pray, but that's not what he said. The phrase I urge, it's a phrase that it, it, it describes. So, so this last season, I don't know who you follow in the NFL. My, I, I'm, I'm in Las Vegas. We got the Raiders. And this last season, I've been to, I was a chaplain for the Las Vegas Raiders. So uh, that, that it's an incredible opportunity to be able to, you're in the locker room, you're on the practice field, you're in the huddle on the practice field, you travel with the team, get to pray in the locker room with the guys. And I've been in there to hear the coaches do their pregame speech. Our season started with the head coach and the pregame speech is... Then we got a new head coach about halfway through the season, Antonio Pierce, and AP knows how to give a pregame speech. Like, AP is done. Like, the first six weeks of the season when things weren't going so good and the coach, the pregame speech, he's, he's really great at, at offensive and analysis and stats and all that kind of stuff. But the pregame speech, I'm sitting there as a preacher. I'm like, dude, if you'll give me this moment, man, I can help this team. <laughs> but when AP got the job... AP came in and he gave that pregame speech. And when he got done, I was ready to charge hell with a water pistol. (laughs) That's our urge. Paul is a coach in the locker room. And he's saying, man, we're about to go out on the field of battle. And God is at work in the world. And he desires people to come to know him. And he's given Jesus so people can come to know him. And he's called us to go tell this message to the ends of the earth. So I'm begging you, get on your knees and pray. Pray. Then in verse 8, he said, I desire then. The word then, it's a Greek word, soon. In the Greek language, it means therefore or because I just said this, let me draw this conclusion. What did he just say? He just said God wants everybody to come to know him. God's given Jesus so they can come to know him. God's called us to go tell them how they can come to know him. Therefore, based on that, I want everybody to pray. How important is prayer? I think Paul said 
It's pretty important. A.J. Gordon said it this way. You can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you've prayed. Here's the second thing. How should we pray? How should we pray? Well, Paul in verse 1 uses several words to describe prayer. Supplication, prayer, intercession, thanksgiving. Those words describe different aspects of how we should pray. I'm going to give them to you quickly. Number one, we should pray urgently. That's the word supplication. The word supplication is a word that means prayer arising from a sense of need. Knowing what is lacking, we plead with God to supply it. As you and I look out on our world, I think all of us would be honest enough to say, man, the world is jacked. It's broken. It's a mess out there. Amen? Here's what Paul's saying. You can do more in five minutes of praying about that than you can in five hours of posting about that. Like if we just take the time we spend complaining about the world on social media and channel that into time sitting before the Father to talk to Him about what He wants to do in the world, now we're inviting the Father to begin to unleash His power in a way that can really change things. Here's the bottom line. Legislation is not going to change the world. Education is not going to change the world. Politicians is not going to change the world. But I'm telling you, a move of the Holy Spirit of God can and will change the world. But it won't be unleashed unless we pray. we got to pray with a sense of urgency. Number two, we should pray desperately. It's the word prayers here in the text. The word prayers is the most generic word for praying in all the Bible. Prayer is motivated by a sense of desperation. Your prayer life is a metric for how desperate you are for God. Let me say that. Let me say it again. Your prayer life is a metric for how desperate you are for God. My friend Daniel Henderson says it this way. Prayerlessness is a declaration of independence from God. What does that mean? Here's what that means. You know when you pray the most? When you're the most desperate. If you don't believe me, let your mom or dad or brother or sister or you go to the doctor tomorrow and let the doctor tell you, man, I'm sorry, but... We found something in the scan, and you've only got six months to live. You might not have been a prayer warrior on the way into that doctor's appointment. But let me tell you what you are on the way out of that doctor's appointment. You a prayer warrior. Not only that, you blowing up all of our phones, wanting all us to pray. You know why? Because you just got desperate. You know the problem? We are that desperate, and we just don't know it. You're that desperate right now. I'm that desperate right now. But because life just rolls along because you're young, it's just like every day's another day. And here's the deal, man. You are the only reason you woke up this morning with breath in your body is because a sovereign God and his grace allowed you to. 
desperate. We need to pray with a sense of desperation. You know how the early church saw God move in power? If you study the people in Acts chapter 1, those were not people that you'd pick to be on your team to change the world. Like if you study the people in the original disciples, like it was not a who's who list of super Christians. It was a bunch of ordinary nobodies that saw the world. We're sitting here today in the tracks that they laid down following Jesus. But did you know that if you read the book of Acts 26 times in 28 chapters, you know what you find them doing? Praying. They were desperate. They knew if God's not God, we're sunk. Number three, we should pray passionately. It's the word intercessors. It means to plead in the interest of another without holding back because you understand. You know the problem with some of us? Some of us have been saved too long. What do you mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. You've forgotten what it's like to be lost. That's why you can talk about lost people the way you talk about lost people. Let me give you a deep theological reality. Here it is. Lost people act like lost people because they're lost people. That's it. The only reason you don't act like that is because God in his grace saved you. And we've forgotten what it's like to be lost. If you wake up today with problems, what's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to run to God. You know the problem with most of the world? They don't know God. So they got nobody to turn to. Same problems. When we get back to that mentality of understanding the lostness of the world, we begin to pray with a sense of passion. Number four, we should pray expectantly. It's thanksgivings. Paul says to pray with thanksgivings. What is that? Thanking God for what he's going to do. Lastly, we should pray corporately. All of the terms in 1 Timothy 2 talking about prayer are plural. What do you mean by that? He wasn't talking to us as individuals to pray. He was talking about us praying together. Do we need to pray individually? Yes. But here's what I'm telling you. There's something that that happens when we pray together that transcends our praying individually. You know what's tragic in the church in America? We'll sing for 30, 40 minutes in service. We'll preach for 30, 40 minutes in service. How long do we pray? You know what we've done? We've relegated praying together to moments of transition when we move the band on and off the stage. We don't pray to pray anymore. We just pray to change the set while nobody's looking. I'm not saying it's wrong to move stuff while we pray. I'm saying it's wrong to just pray to move stuff. We have the largest churches on the American continent we've ever had in the history of the United States of America. With, from a percentage standpoint, fewer people attending church in America than we've ever had in the history of America. Let me tell you what that means. We're doing something wrong. We got buildings, we got budgets, we got preachers, we got bands, we got planning center. But let me tell you what we don't have. We don't have the power of God. And we won't taste the power of God till we begin to pray. I did something at our church in Las Vegas. I got deeply convicted about this in 2015. We carved out 10 minutes in every weekend service. Where I take a verse of scripture and lead the church to pray corporately, the whole church, 
4,000 people there in a weekend. Lead the whole church spread. People say, you can't do that. What, what, what about lost people who come to your church? Let me tell you what I discovered. <laughs> when lost people come to a church, they expect us to talk to God. Not only that, they actually came to our church hoping we'd show them how they could talk to God. And when all we do is let paid professionals with articulate language stand on a stage with a microphone and pray, we create a chasm that says, listen, you can't talk to God. You need us to do that for you. But when we take the word of God and we let the word of God become the centerpiece of a conversation we lead the whole family to have with the Father, we invite the manifest presence of God to move in power. And that's what we saw happen in our church in Las Vegas from 2015 on. We began to evaluate our services differently. We didn't look back on Sunday and say, okay, did we get everything right? Planning center good. Hit all our marks. Hit all our times. All the notes okay. Here's the question we began to ask. What happened yesterday that can only be described as God showed up? And if we we went through a whole Sunday and we couldn't answer one thing that we saw that only God did that, we knew we missed it that weekend. And we began to see God do miraculous. We've seen people healed. We've seen salvation stories that will blow your mind. We've seen unreached peoples on the other side of the world where there hadn't been a gospel presence in a hundred years. See church planting movements begin to take place. It ain't nothing special about us. Here's what I'm telling you. When we begin to pray, when we seek God in prayer, we experience God in power. And when we don't, we don't. 